You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Chief Stock Watch Podcast. I'm Price Carter. This week I'm joined by future NFL scout, Nate Christensen. Nate, it's good to be talking football with you again, man. I've missed it. Yeah, it's, you know, we were talking before, like it, it's been, you know, relaxing this offseason. I, I was going to do a little more football stuff, but I've kind of enjoyed my offseason a little more and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I always say I start to really miss football around like July and August. I'm still in the phase where like I could go without it, but, but we are getting a little bit closer to the point where it's like, man, I could really like watch a football game again. These are the dark days. There's no more NBA. There's no more Stanley yeah. Cup. The draft is over. The Royals are like on pace to be one of the worst, worst teams in baseball ever. These are the dark days. But you know what? Like we're in June. Late July, they'll head up to St. Joe, and the cycle will begin again. I tell you, every year, though, it feels like the uh, the Hall of Fame game just pops up earlier and earlier. Like, it won't be long. To me, one of the, like, most exciting feelings is whenever you get invited to that first fantasy league, and you're like, oh, this these are the good vibes. The fantasy drafts are always awesome, and, ah, man, it, I, you're right. It, it's, it's the hard time of year, but it comes sooner and sooner every year, it feels like, too, that the season will get kicked off. But... We're going to talk a little Chiefs today, as we like to do on Arrowhead Pride. We're going to start off with a different game than we've played this time. This one is called Two Truths and a Lie. So I'm going to read three statements that could all be true, could all be false. But you're going to pick which one you think is the most likely to be false. So there's not a right answer in this instance. I'm just going to make three statements. You tell me which one you think will end up being false. So my three statements are... 2022 George Karloftis, so last year's George Karloftis will have more sacks than FAU this season. Brian Cook will outsnap Mike Edwards. And Wanya Morris will start two games or more. Which one of those do you think is the most likely to be a lie? This one was really hard for me. Uh, I was really going back and forth between one and three. I think I'm ultimately going to go with three being Wanya Morris starts two games or more being the most likely to be false. Because we know like Jawan Taylor is going to play 16 games. The question really comes down to, because I'm honestly not, or 17 games, I'm not sold that Donovan Smith's going to make it through the season. Um, he's a guy that had a bunch of injuries last year, and we don't even know if his play is going to be great. I do think he's going to go into the season as a starter, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a change. But if Lucas Niang, you know, he has the pedigree in terms of how long he's been in the building. Um, if Donovan Smith's an issue, we know Lucas Niang has starting experience at right tackle. And I do think it would make some sense for Wanya Morris to take a red shirt year, uh, potentially even just learn how to play left tackle for 2024. But that to me is probably the one that is least likely to be true. But I that, I, mean, I still see a scenario where he starts. That was that was kind of the conundrum. I, I at first I wrote one game and I was like, okay, well that could be you know the end of the yeah, season. They're yeah. benching a player, so, you know. I 
here's the thing. I I look at that and I again, it's kind of a do you think Donovan Smith is going to be healthy question and mm-hmm. a little bit of like, do you think he's going to be putrid and awful? The one thing that you kind of brought up with Lucas Nying that's kind of true is I almost wonder if they didn't draft Wanya Morris and be like, hey, for sure, floor swing tackle. Mm-hmm. And I I just don't really know if Donovan Smith did go down if they would put Wanya Morris in right away. Like, I don't think he they would put him at left. I think that they would maybe do the Juwan Taylor at left thing mm-hmm. and then maybe put Nying at right. I'm just not sure if Morris sees the field at all this season. And I, you know, there, there was quite a few people that would, when they were watching film of Anton Harrison, say, oh, the right tackle is actually the best tackle for Oklahoma. So there, there was a lot of supporters of Morris. But I, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure... Wanya Morris was the like after the first round ended and uh, Anton Harrison, I'm pretty sure Wanya Morris was like the next tackle taken in the draft. Um, I'll, I'll have to go back and look, but I thought I read that so- somewhere, but I just, you know, I, I just am wondering how likely it is that he's actually going to see the field at all this year. Yeah. That, that's kind of the question is like, you know, I, I liked that pick. I liked Wanya Morris coming into the draft. He was someone that I remember we on the AP draft show, we drafted him in the third round. So like, we thought that was a good pick, but like he does need a lot of work. Like it, it's going to take him time to kind of develop kind of his technique and things like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if the chiefs try and kind of hold him out and then kind of, you know, decide in the 2024 offseason when they're evaluating tackle options, what exactly they want to do long-term. But I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he started. I mean, I think he's more talented than Lucas Yang. And if he comes in and is able to kind of pick things up quickly, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, is the third tackle on this team. But of those three, I just think that's the one that's least likely to happen. I did I did find it. So it depends on what you think of Tyler Steen. If you consider Tyler Steen a guard, that stat is true. Because Anton Harrison went oh, to wow. the Jags and then Tyler Steen yeah. to the Eagles in round two. And then Wanya was the next tackle. So like mm-hmm. true tackle person that's not going to play on the inside it's Wanya um yeah and I I was I was 50 50 like I could see a situation that FAU actually gets more sacks I think he might be a little bit more tool he's definitely more toolsy than uh Carl Laftis was but I felt like Carl Laftis's like raw traits just gave him such a high floor and I also I think Carl Laftis just saw the field more last year like he played quite a few snaps. I think it was like 600 snaps or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also he has that ability to kick on the inside. I'm not sure FAU is going to do a ton of that for the Chiefs. He's more of the classic wide nine rusher. Although I am interested, I- I'm a little surprised. We'll see. Spags loves his veterans. I-, I could see a situation where they rely on Mike Edwards a lot more than we're planning on. Because Brian Cook, he-, he did play some meaningful snaps and kind of came on towards the end of the season. But I do think that there's a situation that- or a scenario that He's not playing as much as we expect him. Kind of like, you know, Juan Thornhill's path wasn't always the most just easy and mm-hmm. upright. All right, Nate, let's hear your three statements. So I have three here. The one I have first is the Chiefs will make one more defensive tackle addition before the season, a meaningful one. So like a veteran. My second one is running back to Derek Prince will get the most non Isaiah Pacheco running back touches. And number three was that Drew Tranquil will outsnap Willie Gay Jr. this season. Which one do you think is least likely to happen? Um, so here's my thought process. I think, especially given defensive tackle market, I feel like, you know, Chiefs brought in Danny Shelton last year. I feel like there's a really high likelihood of that happening, especially because defensive tackle, it's kind of one of those positions like, 
You have one role, and if you're not filling that role anymore, you're not going to fill that role. Keandre Coburn's a rookie. Uh, Derek Naughty is a veteran. They don't really have a lot there. Otherwise, Tershawn Wharton's coming out the ACL injury. So, I, and I, there's going to be value out there for some of those players. I, I've not looked through the list, but I guarantee you there's someone who's a Danny Shelton like signing. Um, it could be, you know, literally could be Brandon Williams, who just finished with the Chiefs last season. Um, either way, I, there's definitely more depth that needs to be there and more security there. So I feel like that one's definitely true. Um, Daenerys Prince getting the most non Pacheco RB touches feels like something that's possible. Like it definitely feels like it's possible. I know that they're already singing his praise. We'll get to that a little bit later. The one thing that I wonder about with him is like Jarek McKinnon is just, he's carved out such a clear role with the team and he finished so strong last year, but also McKinnon as last year was kind of an enigma where he didn't get injured. Typically he does. Then you have the Clyde injury. It it honestly could be one of those type of things or not the Clyde injury, but the Clyde factor in there as well. It also could be like one of those things where Clyde and McKinnon split the carries and then Prince comes in with enough that it, it you could have a situation where someone, you know, ultimately takes like 11% of the snaps and ends up winning just because it's all kind of split the vote. Um, and then I feel like most people are thinking that Drew Tranquil will out snap Willie Gay. Like Drew Tranquil, just as linebacker version, Dan Sorensen. I decided on the last podcast, like Spagnuolo is going to freaking like – the, the apocalypse could be out there, you know, like the, the asteroid could be heading towards Earth and Drew Tranquil would be defending it for the Chiefs. I have no <laughs> doubt like that's happening. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with the generic Prince one just because we love them and the Pacheco comparisons are there. But I do feel like some of the things they do are a little redundant. And also I feel like the presence of McKinnon and Clyde Edward Delaire, the Chiefs would love for Clyde to make them feel a little bit better about the draft pick. Like if Clyde can mm-hmm. come in and just not be injured or bad, they would love to kind of pat themselves on the back. It, sure. it feels all warm and fuzzy when that pick actually isn't just a total bad pick. So, so I'm going to go with that yeah. one. So, yeah, I, that's probably the one I would, I was thinking maybe too, but the case would be, you already kind of heard the chief. I think McKinnon mentioned this, but also the coaching staff, they're seeming to be really like load managing Jared McKinnon this off season. I wouldn't be surprised that carries into the season. Cause last year he had a real meaningful role. He had 10 receiving touchdowns. He was a huge part of the chief's red zone package. But I did think by the end of the season, he kind of ran out of juice. Kinda, his legs just weren't there as much. And another year older, more injuries. They're going to want to probably load manage him as much as possible. Clyde Edwards-Alaire Clyde doesn't make this interesting. but Because I actually do. I am buying a little bit of Clyde stock. I think that he it's by all reports, he's come in really good shape this offseason. I just I, I understand he hasn't lived up to the profile of what he was coming in the draft. But he was a really talented player. At some point, I think some of those traits will kind of display in, at some level. Uh, the one, if I, I I was looking at the defensive tackle, like free agent list, it's definitely not great. It's Shelby Harris, Limbaugh Joseph, and Dominic Sue, like a bunch of guys in their 30. The reason why I wrote it down is, though, is that I don't think Tershawn Wharton's practice so far. Like, I don't even think he's been in minicamp so far. Who knows if he's even going to be really ready before the season. And the Chiefs do not have a lot of defensive tackles. So if he's missing, I wouldn't be surprised if they added someone there. But as of now, I think he'll be back. So if I had to pick, that would be the one I don't think happens. Yeah. And, you know, kind of going back to the running back conversation a little bit, this is something that I wrote about last year and kind of did a deep dive into. There just seems to be this mindset of, and Chiefs fans were looking forward to the fact that the Chiefs could probably re-sign Jarek McKinnon. And, it's really hard to argue with someone who says like, well, look at the numbers. He's clearly, you know, a huge upgrade. One of the best offensive players on the team. 
But you have to realize that last year was kind of the exception to the rule for him. And then, sure, it, it's gone full pendulum, right? Like when the Chiefs picked a Clyde in the first round, a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, you know, it's actually really smart to get a running back in the first round because you get that fifth-year option on him. And now we've gone the full other way where it's like, well, I don't, I don't know why they would ever draft a running back. The truth lies somewhere in the middle there. Historically, there have not been many backs that have gone beyond the third round that have really turned into anything. The freaking Chargers have drafted a, a day three running back like every year for the last five years, and they all stink. You know, I I was kind of a proponent of a day two running back for the Chiefs, maybe because I just thought there was a definite clear defined role. And like running backs are just one of those things, too, that you can never really have enough and they're going to get injured. Uh, you know, Pacheco obviously played really well in the Super Bowl. I still am a little concerned about him. Like, I just don't think you have a true bell cow there. Like a Chase Brown or someone was someone that I thought about a lot for the Chiefs. Uh, just someone who could really carry the load. But yeah, it'll it'll be interesting for sure. I mean, hey, if generic Prince turns out to be awesome, then that's just more great news because not only do you have another rookie who's an offensive weapon, but also literally as cheap as they can be probably as a UDFA. So I know one thing though, we're going to get into kind of our stock up and stock down here and watch you start with generic Prince since we were just talking about him. Uh, generic Prince, his praises were sung by Dave P- Tobe when he was at the mic, he described him as the starting kick returner at this time. Do you think that this just gives him a safe spot on the roster? And what do you think it means for his offensive role? Oh, I think he's making the roster. Like, I have absolutely no doubt about that. I know uh, our own Pete Sweeney kind of reported that the Chiefs had Daryl Henderson in on a visit during minicamp, but I don't think that matters. He's been someone that could easily be a kick returner for the Chiefs, like, very quickly. Um, You know, obviously, I've heard somewhere he had the best speed score of any running back in the draft this previous year. On offense, it's tough to see a role because I honestly think he's similar in terms of, like, body type and open line speed to, like, Isaiah Pacheco. But, you know, Pacheco hasn't really practiced much his offseason. He's had those surgeries. So he's someone that's going to get those opportunities, like, as we go into training camp if Pacheco isn't there. And like I mentioned, I think the Chiefs are going to low-manage Derek McKinnon. Claude Edwards-Alaire deals a lot of injuries. So he's kind of, like, if you kind of look at Prince, he's kind of the last man standing if Pacheco isn't around during camp, if he's not around during, or at least the early parts of camp. So, yeah, I absolutely think he's making the roster. I think he's going to have a role in offense. Because Edwards, Alaire, and McKinnon are just not high usage kind of players, and they need somebody besides Pacheco. Side note: a non-generic Prince note. Do you think that there is any scenario that the Chiefs are interested in Dalvin Cook at all? I don't. I just don't think the Chiefs would want to use any of their cast space on him. Uh, it's not like they have any now, anyways. But I don't think they would do like a Chris Jones extension or moving Kelsey's money around to sign a running back. Uh, I just. I just don't think that's really like I know the Chiefs did that with Sean McCoy, but I don't think that's really in their MO just to add a running back new into their offense late here. And I think Pacheco was too good last year for them to do that. Very different phases of the team, right? Like that was rookie right. rookie year. Mahomes, they hadn't won any Super Bowls with Mahomes at that time. Now they have two. It feels like they're really just kind of like no 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 player is bigger than the plan mm-hmm. for the Chiefs. But it does feel like they've been looking for a long time for that true playmaker since Kareem Hunt left and it would be great for this offense to have that to have a a running back that teams really feared because even what Pacheco's given them I still don't feel like the player the Chiefs have a player a running back who just makes something out of nothing like Jamal Charles obviously he's like one of the best ever do it but there are just times or you know Jonathan Taylor pick a pick a good Mm -hmm. back in the league there are times when they when they get the ball and you're like oh this is done 
and then they turn it into something. And I just feel like the Chiefs have not had that running back since Kareem Hunt, where it's just like, oh, that play was all Kareem Hunt. Um, I'm thinking of that that toss run that they had where he like jumped over three Broncos players to get in the end zone. That was all Kareem Hunt. Mm. And that that just doesn't happen very much for the Chiefs running back right now. But you can't really complain with about the results. All right. Next little piece of news we're going to decide if stock up or stock down is Andy Reid says in a press conference that Sky Moore actually led the team in catches during minicamp. What does this mean? Do you think it means Sky Moore is doing really well? Do you think it means like he's trying to raise uh, Sky Moore's stock up? Like, see, look, he's doing great. Like, maybe he's not doing great. How do you interpret that piece of news? So I, I was honest, when I saw this, I was thinking, like, could he lead the team in reception? So I kind of looked. Last year, Marquez Valdez-Scanling had 81 targets, but he only had 42 receptions. And and I was kind of like, could Sky Moore lead the wide receivers in receptions? And at first, I was kind of like, I don't think so. The more I thought about it, I absolutely think he's going to lead this team in receptions this year. Kadarius Tony, I, I know he has a lot of talent, but when you factor in the injuries, do you I, mean kind of one? You mean total receptions, or do you mean wide receiver receptions? Wide receiver receptions. I was okay. Travis Kelsey's in his own category. Okay, that's that's uh, my that, figure. That's, that's an important point. Um, but like MVS is a very like up and down player, and I just don't think like. I don't see his role expanding at all this year. I think we kind of know what he is within this offense. And Kadarius Tony is someone that could probably take on more volume. The tricky part for the Chiefs is like they can put more volume on Tony, but then he's going to be less durable. Like it, it just it feels like it's like one of those players. It's like a like to compare it to basketball. He's a guy that you can't play like 34 minutes a night and have him shoot like 25 shots. You need him shooting like you know six, you know, 15 shots a game on like 26 minutes or whatever that would be. So the Chiefs are going to have to try and load manage him. And when you kind of look at the rest of the receiving core, that leaves only Sky Moore to really get those targets. So I think he's going to run away with kind of the title of like the most catches for the Chiefs in terms of wide receivers. The fantasy community is always a fun one. Um, generally, if you see an awful tweet uh, as regards to like player rankings and stuff like that, like they're usually behind it. But sometimes they are good for analysis when it comes to like general pop. I keep coming back to the fact that Scott, uh, Kadarius Tony is one of those players that whenever you look at his target share com- related to routes run, like he's he's a darling, right? Like when he's on the field, he's getting the ball, which I think speaks mm-hmm. to a little bit of his injury history and speaks to a little bit of like what a playmaker he is with the ball in his hands. You know, it's been talked about that Matt Nagy came out and they were asking like, hey, Kadarius Tony, wide receiver one, huh? And he's like, yeah, we love him when he has the ball in his hands not really like this huge ringing endorsement of him as a player. I think for Sky Moore, I'm not sure that in this offense with this coach, with this quarterback, with Travis Kelsey, I'm not even sure Sky Moore has to be that great of a player. Mm-hmm. Like obviously he can't just be in, wrong. And that, and that was honestly part of the problem last year. He was literally wrong. He was in the wrong place. He was making mistakes. He's talked about his struggles with it. We all know the corn dog story of he was in the wrong place. Like, but if he can just be in the right place and just catch the freaking ball when it comes to him, I don't think I don't think it's that hard. I mean, you look at some of the players that did well for the Patriots in that offense over the time. The list the list of receivers outside of Gronk are in, you know, the one season of Randy Moss, the couple seasons of Randy Moss. It's it's hilarious, honestly. Some of the people that real were real contributors. I'm not sure that Sky Moore has to just be this great guy. I think he just needs to catch the ball when it comes his way, get up field, fall down, get up, do it again. And if he can do that, I'm not sure, you know, 
I, I was recanting some of the takes about Juju Smith-Schuster and how he was just irreplaceable for the Chiefs offense last year. And and I, I'm i just not sure that what's being asked of Sky Moore is going to be that hard for him to do. So I, I, I view this as good news, especially the most catches thing. I just think that that kind of comes back to catch the ball when it comes your way, get open. Travis Kelsey's going to draw coverage. MVS is going to draw coverage. Just do your do your job when it's there. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, next one. This one is near and dear to my heart. I've been pounding the table. Nick Jones has got his hands on a couple of passes this uh, this mini camp. What are you thinking about the impact for Nick Jones in year one? Obviously, he's a seventh seventh round pick, but that doesn't really mean anything when you're talking Chiefs corners. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that seems to be where they find the best players. Um, I don't think Nick Jones really gets on the field on defense. I kind of covered this earlier this offseason when I wrote kind of about like secondary roles. The Chiefs are really, really deep in the secondary, and they just don't have a lot of snaps to go around. If we're factoring in like Legereus Seen as an outside corner, him or Trent McDuffie, they're already splitting snaps between Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson. If one of those guys gets injured, the other one will just take his role full time. Nick Jones, I do think, can make an impact on special teams for sure. And I do wonder, I, I do think he'll be someone that makes the roster. But in terms of him getting on defense, I just think it's a really steep, steep kind of hill to climb for him to really get on the field on special teams. Yeah, he could absolutely make an early impact. I'm excited about the Nick Jones pick because I think it's it signals the one year ahead philosophy that a lot of teams have when it comes to drafting players. And I think, you know, if you're planning on luxurious Snead not being on the team next year, which I'm a huge proponent of, I like Snead. I think he's been a good player. Um, however, I'm not sure that a team that is just kind of money balled secondary for lack of a better term, they've just have picked up dollars off the ground when it comes to how well they can draft that position, just plug players into it. Why would you go out and play, pay luxurious need? The closest thing they've come to, they, they will pay a safety. You know, they paid Tyron Matthew real money. They paid Justin Reed real money. But other than that, why, why bother? But I, I, I am pretty excited about Nick Jones. I think 
one thing that I've been pounding the table for a little bit here too, is that like Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, both of them at times struggled during the regular season and simultaneously kind of replaced each other. Now you talked about that. If one goes down, the other would probably step in, but I, I, you know, there is a situation where they both can struggle at one point. I don't think that, you know, Nick Jones is going to, unless he just tears, tears it up and is somehow Mm -hmm. just trumps them both, but it's a good problem to have either way. Right now, in my opinion, in the secondary, the Chiefs really only have about two sure things, and that's Justin Reed and Legereus Sneed. Um, Sneed has gotten a little bit more injured here of late. He's not been practicing right now. Uh, I think really good things about McDuffie as a coverage player. He should be fine, but even him, you're not 100% confident on. So I, I think just adding another player to that mix is a good sign. This, the special teams is something that he's excelled at. Uh, I know the director of the Shrine Bowl was talking about Nick Jones a little bit and said, Eric Galco said that he, he is a guy that probably you don't want to see be on the field overexposed too much in year one. But I, I'm, I'm really excited about him. And I think like for a seventh round pick, he's going to have some impact. But it's great to hear him already making some, some plays on the ball, which is something that the chief secondary can definitely need um, improvement for in next year. Um, last one. This one's kind of more of it. Is it news or is it noise? Chris Jones doesn't show up to mandatory minicamp. He also doesn't show up to the ring ceremony. What are your thoughts on this? So, you know, what's funny. The first time Chris Jones uh, got his contract in 2020, that taught me an extremely valuable lesson because I was on the train of the Chiefs were not paying Chris Jones. Um, I did not think that was going to be a deal that happened. And there was definitely unique circumstances between COVID and Patrick Mahomes' contract. That's how me the lesson to pay. Until something doesn't happen, don't say it won't happen. So for me, I don't think Chris, I think Chris Jones is still 100% being extended. I know there's been some cryptic stuff. I don't care. Is it, this is what players do. It's their off season. They're just, they're bored. They want their, I understandably, they want their money. They want their immediate signing bonus. Until Chris Jones isn't playing in the preseason, I do not care if he shows up or not. Chris Jones is, what, 29 years old. He's one of the best players in his position. He's been in this system a long time. I could care less if he shows up on day one or camp or not. Ultimately, if he's there in shape, ready to go for the season, that's all I care about. So for now, it's kind of a non-story for me. I understand there's not a lot of headlines going on right now, so that's going to get more publicity. But I think Chris Jones will 100% be extended by maybe a week into training camp. And I think we'll have Chris Jones fully motivated, fully ready to go before the season. I agree with you. Uh, the ring ceremony is like a little off-putting. I guess he tweeted out that he was sick, which, you know, p- people are always sick after Super Bowl Sunday, too. Who knows if it's actually true or not. But I, here, here's the thing. I It's business, right? And him not showing up to those things. He did go to the White House. I don't think it really speaks to the nature of the negotiation. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone said it really well when they said like all negotiations, a good negotiation is when everyone leaves the table a little unhappy. And that, and that's probably true, right? Like I don't think it's possible for car for contract negotiations to not be contentious at times, even when you have an agent as a middleman thinking back to like the Lamar situation. I think part of the reason why that was so contentious was because they were telling him the things that they thought about him and his performance, mm-hmm. right? That that would be a little bit hard to swallow. With Chris Jones, I think the question, you know, Albert Breer wrote today that they expect to get it done. I think it's kind of always been headed that way. So I am a little surprised that he didn't show just because mini camp's fine. I get it. 
but it's also a contract that he like, it's not like he's getting paid pennies on the dollar. He's not a franchise tag player. It's a contract that he negotiated. I think the two most interesting things about this contract are going to be one. Was it the right move to, to resign him? And two, what is that dollar value going to come in? Like, I think honestly, uh, Quinn and Williams should probably go next, just given kind of like the player and the reputations. And then Chris Jones comes on top and, and, tops Quinn and Williams, especially because Quinn and Williams plays like a fraction of the snaps compared to Chris Jones. Like Quinn and Williams plays like one out of every five snaps or something for the Jets. Whereas Chris Jones like played damn near a thousand snaps. Um and then going back to like is this the right move? It's been interesting because around you you brought up in 2020 there was a lot of people who thought the DeForest Buckner trade was kind of a signal that the Chiefs were going to trade Chris Jones. I was one of those people. And here's the thing. Chris Jones was a better player than DeForest Buckner back then. The gap has widened between the two players now um, because Buckner was on that great 49ers defense and he got traded for like somewhere between the 10th and the 20th pick. I think it was like 13. Yeah, the 13th pick. I don't know if the Chiefs would have gotten that package for Chris Jones, especially because the pandemic did hit and a lot of people are very scared about the salary cap and all those type of things. But do you think that re-signing 29-year-old Chris Jones is the right move? Do you think that that's what the Chiefs should do, that they should sink? Because we know he's going to basically get Aaron Donald's deal or just a little bit less. Do you think mm-hmm. that that's the right move? It is. I think pass rusher is aging really well for the most part. Like, I, I don't really have a concern about Chris, like, falling off on, like, you know, during his age 31 season. If you can rush the passer, especially from the interior, you can last a really long time in the NFL. Um, like even like thinking of Dominic Suna, Dominic Suna's 36 years old and he was still playing snaps for a team that made the Super Bowl. Like it's just one of those positions that uh, you like, you know, it's a grown man strength thing and stuff like that. So Chris, I, I'm not really worried about Chris really falling off in any way. So yeah, he's just been too valuable. He's too good as a pass rusher for the Chiefs to really, uh, you know, whether it's playing inside or outside, he's just too good of a pass rusher for the Chiefs to really let go. They wouldn't like, I, I am someone that doesn't believe that like, four good pass rushers is better than one elite guy. I think having one truly elite guy matters more than anything else in terms of how like teams, you know, decide to game plan for you. And Chris is still very clearly that. So yeah, I would absolutely pay him. Yeah. To that point, the Buffalo bills say hello, right? Without Von Miller on the field, they've got all these day one day, two guys that are just all mid and just got destroyed Mm -hmm. by the Bengals backups. Uh, 32 year old Fletcher Cox, seven sacks last year. Um, now that was a very good pass rush as a whole, but I, I agree. I think honestly, Chris Jones has probably done a little bit more in this contract to earn his next deal than he did his rookie contract. He was a good oh, player, not I a great player. That. Mm-hmm. Um, that that great year that he had with Justin Houston and D Ford, a lot of that was a product of one D Ford and Justin Houston being very good, mm-hmm. and two, the the Chiefs defense or the Chiefs offense being so dominant that they just got to pin their ears back all the time. Um, I, I, I agree. I think that paying Chris Jones is the right move. You can't just, you just can't pay nobody. And I think the chief right. philosophy right now is just Kelsey Mahomes and Jones, and then just keep the offensive line solid, which is a solid plan. And also I, you know, the Tyree killed move, I think was partially due to, they didn't know if they were going to pay Orlando Brown or not. And I think it might've been partially due to Chris Jones a little bit too. You don't have a Patrick Mahomes of the defense. Chris Jones is the closest thing you have to that, especially because he allows the defensive line to be so he's a force multiplier, right? Like FAU, George Karloftis, Charles Amenahu, 
all those players feel a lot better when you have Chris Jones as the kind of joker of the defensive line. All right, so we're going to get into our closing bell. These are our undisputed. Maybe this is something that's been frustrating you, something you want to get off your chest. One opinion that you have that you feel might not be popular. Nate, what is your closing bell sentiment? Well, I mentioned earlier with defensive tackles, but I don't think the Chiefs can go into the season with this defensive tackle room and feel great. Um, Right now, you know, last year, Chris Jones played 80 to 85% of the snaps every single week. And while Jones was absolutely amazing last year, I don't like that. I don't like playing a defensive tackle or playing a defensive tackle 85% of the snaps. It's just going to wear you down over the course of a season. That's a lot of body, body blows. It's a lot of snaps. And you kind of look, the Chiefs really didn't address the defensive tackle room in the draft this offseason. It's basically, we're bringing back Derek Naughty on a minimum contract. We're bringing Tashawn Wharton off an ACL, who hasn't practiced, back on a minimum contract. Danny Shelton on a minimum contract. And we're going to draft Keandre Coburn in the late sixth round. That's just not a great defensive tackle room. And it's defensive tackle is one of those play, you know, positions where you need bodies. So for me, I, I understand I mentioned how the names like Shelby Harris and Michael Brown rockers aren't great but just getting a guy to come in and eat snaps i think that's really important for the chiefs because like let's just in the bad scenario like if the chiefs lost chris jones for four weeks they'd be screwed like what would they do at defensive tackle it would be tershawn wharton danny shelton and Derek naughty and keandre coburn that's by far the worst defensive tackle room in the nfl yeah i i I wonder if a little bit what they i think that they maybe uh view like a minihue as kind of a Chris Jones light replacement, like as a pass rusher, right? They could kind of use leverage him as a pass rusher. But yeah, either way, he's not a run stopper. And one thing that concerns me Mm -hmm. with the defensive tackle room is like, we've seen with Nick Bolton and the Nick Bolton discourse that part of what good linebacker play needs is a hero in front of them to keep blockers off them no matter how good your linebackers are or your secondary is, if, if players are getting through wide open gaps, it opens them up to, to a lot of abuse in the running game and defending the run. Isn't something that super matters, but you can't be awful at it, right? Like that, that's the chargers. That's the Browns last year. Both those teams just got abused in the run. And the chiefs literally won that game in LA last year. And they had, they had a drive where they didn't pass the ball once, which is crazy Mm -hmm. because it's the chiefs. Right? So I completely agree with you. Um, they've got to find more bodies there. Yeah, I, I just think like going into the season, like I, I know you don't want to like prepare for the worst scenario, but if Chris Jones gets hurt, you're just not. This is like I don't think the defense can really function at a super high level because, like I, I'm just I've come around to this like these past few years. Like yeah, defensive tackle is not like a you know high premium position like defensive end or corner, but you have to have competency in your defensive tackle room to really succeed. I mean, even look at the Eagles, right? Like the Eagles drafted Jordan Davis, had Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargreave, and one injury goes down, and they instantly signed Livall Joseph and Donovan Sue because they know if we put a bad defensive tackle on the field or multiple of them, it's just hard to function as a defense at totality. So I would like to see the Chiefs maybe swing a trade on like a guy who's – I don't have a good example, but like a guy at the end of his rookie deal has maybe been a little disappointing, but you can bring in like to your scheme and have him work out. Add a couple guys because man, this defensive tackle room, I just don't feel good about it like at all. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate Shelby Harris. He he still plays pretty decent snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm just remembering some of his time with the Broncos, but uh he's a name that would make some sense. 
Um, okay, so mine is going to be, this is maybe not Azrael Chiefs related, but it is a little bit. I'm done with the player X will take less money to play for the Chiefs or any other team. It's always about money. It's always been about money. It will always be about money. The only time that money isn't a factor, excuse me, the only time that money is not a factor with these type of things is if a player has virtually no market and they're just choosing between what team they want to go to. Entered DeAndre Hopkins dialogue, right? So there was this thought, oh, you know, he'll go to a team. He wants to be on a contender. He gets these visits. He's still unsigned to this point. But the only way that the Chiefs even have a shot at DeAndre Hopkins or a player like Dalvin Cook is if they have virtually no market and the and the Chiefs and like three other teams have just kind of a one-year whatever deal sitting on the table for them. Otherwise, it's about the money. It's always been about the money. Frank Clark had every reason to come back to Kansas City, right? They probably had an offer on the table for him. He didn't take it. I'm tired of hearing that not, that dialogue about, oh, they're going to take more money. So one of the things that someone made, this is actually about basketball, but I think it translates really well to the uh, football as well as when you sign that one pay cut contract, you never earn more money than that the rest of your career, right? Like a substantial amount. So there's always the thought of, hey, DeAndre Hopkins can come to Kansas City on a one-year deal, potentially win a ring, and then you know cash in next offseason. That, that doesn't happen. If DeAndre Hopkins, number one, Super Bowl rings are so volatile. Like the Chiefs are the favorite for me, but there's a thousand scenarios where they don't win the Super Bowl next year. You can't sign anywhere with the thought of like guaranteeing a ring. And if he signs for less money, he's not getting more money next offseason. I'll tell you that right now. So players eventually do reach the stage of their career where they will take less money, but it's generally when they're washed up. You don't see a player like DeAndre Hopkins who still is at least in-ish, prime-ish. Like the past couple of years, the productivity has dropped off. Some of that has to do with the suspension and things. If for DeAndre Hopkins' sake, like he could still probably take a two, three-year deal with a team like the Titans or the Patriots, be the man. Granted, he's not going to win the Super Bowl or come really that close. Then three years from now, maybe in his last season, take that one-year deal from whatever contender will be. So I generally agree with you. Like I've always pushed back on the whole, like guys want to take less. That's just not what happens. Cause once you start taking lesser contracts, that's how you're done. Like Odell's another example of this, right? Think about Odell Beckham last year. And obviously he didn't play, but maybe he could have played, but he would have played for almost free. And what he decided was, Hey, I'm going to bank this off season that someone with more cat space will be desperate enough to sign me. And it worked. He was entirely right. So for players like that, I just don't like it's it is a business in the end. And once you reach a certain status as a player, it's hard to overcome that because of age and injury factors. So I've always agreed with you. It's something that I've over the years, I always try and remember when we see these free agents get cut. The only thing that sometimes comes into play here is the kind of like image repair contract. Mm -hmm. Judas Mishuster did that this year. Arden Key did that as well. Yeah. Where it's like, but but one thing that you need for that to exist is a high draft status to begin. So Clyde Edward Delaire, after he's a chief, let's say he gets cut this year or traded or whatever, he'll get another chance because of his draft stock and everything. And he can either do one or two things, right? Same with Juju. Juju was probably looking at a deal that didn't have a ton of great average annual value. And it's like, I can go to the Chiefs and do this incentive-laden deal where I've got the best situation to exceed and a clear role and then try to go get my bag. 
but you're also relying on that draft status a little bit of where like, oh, hey, he was the guy we thought. Same with Arden Key. He was more or less thought of a disappointment, takes that deal with the Jags, has a really good year and parlays it into a bigger deal. So I I think that that's about the only time that that makes sense. And that you still kind of need to be in your prime for that to work. And a Juju was a really young player coming out of USC. Um, age plays a factor in that as well. But yeah, m- most of the time, these players, they're not taking big old pay cuts to play for anyone. And that includes, you know, catching passes from Patrick Mahomes or Super Bowls in Kansas City, which also parlays the fact of like, hey, I know we all love it here. It's great. I love barbecue, but like if players got if the money's the same and Miami is the other choice, like Miami is a little bit cooler than Kansas City. So players care about that stuff, too. (laughs) Yeah, believe me, I, I, you know, I'm from the area. I've lived here my entire life. But if I could spend a season in California or Florida, you got to think that that's probably a little bit nicer for NFL players with a lot of money. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. Awesome. Well, Nate, we appreciate you being on the podcast. As always, we're always smarter for talking for you. what are you working on right now? What are you writing that we can find at Arrowhead, Brian? Yeah, I got to finish up this George Karloftis thing I'm working on. I've put it off a little, so hopefully I get that done this week. And then we're going to do a big, like, 10 over 10 questions kind of going into the season. What are things I'm kind of looking for? I just finalized my list the other day, so I'm really excited about that. And it's a way to kill time until the season because I will tell you, it is hard to generate good content on June 19th. So oh, hopefully that kind of carries us into the season. Speaking of killing time with articles, uh, I'm still working on my roster analysis series. I think I've probably got two more pieces coming out. This next piece is going to be kind of about the players who are, you know, practice squad level players and players that we need more information on incomplete evaluations. So I'll be covering that as well. Uh, make sure you're keeping it locked on Arrowhead Pride here. Thanks for listening to the Chief Stockwatch podcast.